Our scripture reading this morning is Luke chapter 11. One day he was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said, Master, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So he said, When you pray, say, Father, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. Then he said, Imagine what would happen if you went to a friend in the middle of the night and said, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. An old friend traveling through just showed up, and I don't have a thing on hand. The friend answers from his bed, Don't bother me. The door's locked. My children are all down for the night. I can't get up to give you anything. But let me tell you, even if he won't get up because he's a friend, if you stand your ground, knocking and waking all the neighbors, he'll finally get up and get you whatever you need. Here's what I'm saying. Ask and you'll get. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will open. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your little boy asks for a serving of fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? If your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a spider? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. And don't you think the Father who conceived you in love will give you the Holy Spirit when you ask him? The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. There it is. Lord God, from all the distractions and worries of this week, we pray that you would give us eyes to see the glory of your name and the glory of your cross. For all the things that busy our heart and our mind in the week that was and the week that is to come, pray that we now would be able to hear your word. I speak to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. After he had dismissed the crowds, Jesus went up on a mountain by himself pray. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Sit here while I go over there and pray. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to a mountain to pray, 
And he said to them, This kind of prayer can be driven out, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been answered. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. In these days he went up to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Lord, teach us to pray. Henry Nouwen once wrote, I have often wondered why there is such an immense resistance in us to be with God. Why do we find prayer so hard? Why do we always prefer to be busy instead of praying? Why do we keep seeing movies, going to parties, reading worthless books, and running from one place to another? If God really exists, and God really loves us, if He only wants to show us His love, why then is it so hard for us to give ourselves to Him in prayer? So why is prayer hard? Why do we push it off? Why do so many of us spend so little time in prayer compared to all the other things we do with our time. Why is prayer hard? I'm asking. I mean, maybe for, for maybe this is just an Anglican problem, maybe for the brethren type, prayer comes easy and naturally. Do it all the time. Prayer without ceasing. Why is it hard? Because we have to stop and be quiet. Why else? It's rich. Expensive. Mm. I always feel we have to say things. And oftentimes we don't know what that is we're supposed to say. I mean, if we're honest, on one level, we, we all know how to pray. You even ask a child to pray, and they kind of get the concept, and they can, they can pray. We know we're supposed to speak, and we're supposed to listen. We're supposed to just come into the presence of God and, and be with God, and that's the beginning of prayer. So on one level, we know how to do it. It's not complicated, but if I said, okay, right now, we're going to break into groups of three or four, and we're going to pray for the certain situations that are laid out in the, in the leaflet that you have, and we're going to lay hands on each other and pray for each other, how many of you would have just a slightly faster heartbeat if I asked you to do that right now? I mean, how often have I, have you sat in groups of Christians, of mature Christians, and you've opened it up to the group to pray, and so many people stay silent. They don't say a word. Afterwards, they'll come and tell me, well, I can't pray like Betty can or like Frank can, so I'll just let them pray as if there's such a thing as a professional prayer. Have you ever looked up in the Bible to see what professional prayers are? They, they don't exist. There's no conditions on them. It's like saying, 
well, I, I choose not to breathe because I'm not a professional breather. Barbara is a professional breather. I'll let her do the breathing for me. We wouldn't think of such a thing. Yet with prayer, we, we leave it up to the prayer people. We leave it up to people who are better at it than we are. Why is it so hard a thing? Why such immense resistance in us to enter into God's presence to pray? Last week, when I spoke at St. Timothy's, the, the passage was the one just before this. And two weeks ago, we both spoke on the same thing, uh, both at our church and at your church, which was the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which I entitled the parable of the beaten man, because I think the parable is actually about Jesus, who is actually the beaten man, because Jesus has just set himself towards Jerusalem, where he will be beaten and robbed and set upon by thieves and left for dead. And so I think it's a parable about how do we approach Jesus, the beaten man. And the very next story is about Mary and Martha. We're, we're, we're told that, that Mary chooses the way to approach Jesus, the beaten man, the crucified Messiah, is to sit at his feet in silence and, and just be in his presence and listen. And now Luke has told us the next thing is Jesus is asked by his disciples, how do we pray? And I think those three stories go together. They want to know how to pray. Why is it so hard a thing? Well, Nowen, Henry Nowen suggests, at least in part, it's because when we enter into communion with God, we have to face our own demons too. As long as we're busy and distracted, we never really have to deal with who we are. And I think for the most part, Nowen is right about his conclusion. It may not be the only reason we hesitate to pray, but the fear of facing our own demons, of admitting our fears and weaknesses, of revealing our anxieties and sins, means not only confessing them to God, which is bad enough, but also acknowledging them to ourselves. And oftentimes, that's more difficult, because once we've spoken something out loud, it becomes reality. We can fool ourselves and deceive ourselves into saying, that's not my fear, that's not my problem, that's not my worry, that's not my weakness, as long as we just keep it as an internal conversation. But the moment we speak it out loud, it becomes more real. That's why the ancient church always encouraged, when you confess your sins, go to a confessor. Because when you confess your sins to another person, not just to God, which is, which is good and true and solid and we should do. But when someone else is physically in the room, that confession all of a sudden becomes more real. Prayer is the same. When we speak it out loud, it becomes more real. There's other reasons, I think, though, that we find prayer difficult. For some, maybe it hasn't been modeled well for us. We didn't grow up in a house where people prayed. It's, it's just not something... We've really done that much before. I mean, again, for, for, for some, it's, it's, if the prayer is not written down for us, we, we don't know what else we're supposed to say. Maybe we feel unprepared. We compare ourselves to others. Or maybe we just think that prayer isn't effective or it's not effectual. We pray and nothing happens. Or maybe we may fear that God might not hear us. God might hear Richard. He might hear Lois. But he's not going to hear me. Or maybe God's just simply going to say no. 
Now, the good news here is this isn't just a Sutherland church problem or a Sutherland and St. Timothy's church problem. It's not just a current 21st century problem. Humanity has never really known how to pray well. We're not alone in knowing in not knowing how to pray or feel confident in our prayer life. Otherwise, there, for centuries, wouldn't have been hundreds and hundreds of books written on the topic of how to pray. But books have been written from the time books could be written on how to pray. And even before books, we have the disciples. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished and said, Amen, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, like us, they knew how to pray. They had been praying the hero Israel, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy strength and all thy soul. From the, from the days before they could crawl, they'd been saying that prayer. They went to temple regularly, if not weekly, perhaps even daily. They watched their parents recite prayers, and from, from the time they were, they were young, many of them had memorized parts of the Psalms and parts of the liturgy. They knew how to pray. So if they knew how to pray, then why did they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray? And I'm going to suggest that because I think at least in part for them, while God was real and they understood that God was with them as a, as a people, he was still a distant God. Because he was a God who they knew primarily through liturgy and story. He was a God they knew through other people's faith. He was the God who made a covenant with Noah. He was a God who made a covenant with Abraham. He was a God who led the people out of slavery. He was a God who gave the law through Moses. He was a God who led Joshua into the promised land. He was the God who made David king and so on. They, he, he was their God, but primarily their God through other people. Jesus, when they watched him pray, prayed differently. Jesus prayed as if God was in the room. Personal and, and intimate. Like, like Jesus knew him and he knew God and knew that God could hear him and believed that God was actually listening to him in his prayer and that he was listening to God. It was strange. They had seen how God had answered Jesus' prayers through, uh, through his healing and casting out demons and calming the storm and the like. They saw something different in Jesus' prayer. They saw intimacy, effectiveness, power, authority, a sense that prayer was important for some reason beyond faithful ritual. And they wanted to learn to pray like Jesus prayed. And so they said, Jesus, teach us how Pray like you do. And so Jesus says to them, okay, well, when you pray, start this way. Father. Start with Abba. Papa. Now, the God as Father was a conceptual reality for, for, for the, for the, in the Old Testament. So, so these, these Israelites, these Jewish people, understood the concept of God being perceived, understood as Father because God had called Israel my son. 
And so if Israel is my son, then it makes sense that God is, is father. And, and, and so they, they, they had a concept of God as, as being father. But to call him father was not in any way in their realm of thinking about God. I mean, these people already had a name for God, right? What, did they, what was their name for God? Yahweh. But what about that name? They never used it. They never called him that. He was too amazing, too powerful, too almighty. They could not bring themselves, even though they knew God's name, they could not bring themselves to even say his name. So instead, they called God or described God by God's actions or personality or, or through other people. So he was the God who led them out of Egypt. He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was the God who created the universe. He was the Lord Almighty. He was the, the, the great Jehovah Jireh, the God who is with us. But to actually call him by his first name was too much. I mean, imagine, it's not so much the case now, but for, for many of you in, in the room, when you were younger and your parents' friends came over for dinner, what did you call them? Mr. and Mrs., right? Or aunt, maybe auntie and uncle if you knew them really well, but you certainly wouldn't have called them by their first name. It was just, there was this sign of, of respect, this sign of, well, I'm not quite on your level. You can have a big discussion about whether that's good or bad, but the, the, the parallel there is simply for the Jewish people, even though they understood God as being father in concept, to call him father, to call him anything other than a descriptive name was far too informal. It was far too familiar. It was too intimate for the Lord of all creation. And so for Jesus to tell them to call God Papa was far beyond anything they could conceptualize. But what Jesus was doing was, was, was showing them the intimacy and the love of God. He's saying... You are his children. Children both by creation, but more importantly by the adoption of grace. He was trying to tell them Jesus, that God loves them and cares for them as an earthly father cares and, and loves his children. How many of you growing up called your mother or father Mr. or Mrs.? Or the one who gave birth to Isabel? Of course you didn't. You called them mom and dad. You called them mama, pop. Why? Because you knew they loved you. There was intimacy. You knew that you loved them and they loved you and you somehow knew them and they knew you and they only had your best interest at heart. And so you didn't call them John and Betty and you didn't call them Mr. and Mrs. and you didn't call them by some descriptive name, oh, 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 one who is an engineer. You called them mom and dad. Mama and papa. So Jesus says, when you pray, begin with Papa. But then he follows it up with, Papa, hallowed be your name. He is Papa, but he is still holy and sanctified. He is still the creator of the universe. He is his name is holy. And, and again, in, in ancient times, names 
carried a lot of power with them. They were descriptive names. They described blessing. They described hope. They described prophecy. They described what the child came out of. So Abraham was to be, Abraham meant the father of many. Joshua meant he who saves. Peter is the rock. They were descriptive. The name is important. Your name, O Lord, is holy because you are holy and worthy worthy of our praise. So it's Papa, worthy is your name. Hallowed, holy, sanctified, set aside is your name. We will call no one else holy and exaltable. And he says, your kingdom come. In Matthew's teaching on this, he adds, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At our service earlier this morning, I asked the children, when we pray, who do we pray to? And, I said, and they all said, God. And I said, good. And, and where is God? And they said, heaven. And I said, great. Where is heaven? And they said, up there. And I said, so if I go in an airplane high enough, I'll bump into them? Well, no, no. Oh, so I have to go up higher than that. It, it, you know, and, and we had a discussion about how this concept of heaven is not this place out there. It is the heavenly realm. There is a physical and there's a physical realm, an earthly realm, a realm of flesh and blood that we can touch and see and taste. But there is also the spiritual realm where God dwells, and God can go easily between the spiritual and physical realm. And so, heaven is the spiritual realm. It is the place where God is, is, is where God dwells and is holy and, and, and has authority. And, and when we pray, your kingdom come, Lord, on earth, just as it is in heaven, we're inviting the kingdom of God to come into the kingdom of this world. It is a pretty radical prayer. We're inviting God's sovereignty and his authority to be done on earth as it is in the heavenly realm. So to this point then, in Jesus' prayer, we learn to see God as imminent, personal and close, you call him Papa, but also as transcendent and over and beyond all comprehension. Hallowed. He is the king, the ruler, and has all authority and all power and all might. So what basically Jesus is saying is, when you're beginning to pray, if you want to know how to pray, the first thing you have to know is to whom you are praying. And so that's what he sets up. And then he says, give us each day our daily bread. Well, bread, of course, carries incredibly powerful theological imagery with it. When they were wandering in the desert, it was God who provided them bread, manna, sustenance in order to survive. Every single morning they woke up and there it was, that thing, that manna, that bread from heaven that allowed them to survive. He provided for their needs every single day. So the God who provides, provides for our needs, sustains and keeps us so that we might learn to trust in him for all that we need. But think back too over Jesus' ministry and the signs and the wonders and and his teachings that pointed to God as being generous provider. When he turned water into wine, when he took the loaves and the fishes and he fed the 5,000 and he fed the 4,000. And when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger because I'm going to provide for you all that you need. I'm going to sustain you and I'm going to be generous with it. 
And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus says, have this understanding that God will provide for you. He will care for you and he will sustain you and he will be generous with it. Give us each day our daily bread. And then Jesus gets a little more difficult. And he says, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. A part of prayer, says Jesus, is confession. Confession is always part of our prayer. Revealing to God not only our sins, but as I said earlier, our weaknesses and our fears and our anxieties and failures, our doubts and our thoughts. Anything in any way in which we have failed to love God or failed to love neighbor. And the recognition that we are also called to forgive those who fail to love us, who hurt us, who wound us, who do not love us as they ought to love us. Now I know for most of you that is a really easy thing to do. I know that you have no problem forgiving people who say things against you or talk behind your back or wound you or disappoint you or say things about you or against you or whatever way it is in which they, they hurt you and they need uh, to confess to you. And I know that we, you are all good at that. Okay, a couple of you aren't apparently. But Jesus ties these two parts in together. Father, forgive us for our weaknesses, our sins, our failures, the way we've disappointed you and failed to love you and failed to love neighbor, just as we know we have to forgive those who do the same against us. It's possibly the most difficult part of the life of prayer with Jesus. This part that he's teaching his disciples. And then he says, lead us not into temptation. Papa, keep us from wandering off the track. Keep us from wandering from you. We are so good at wandering away. So he says, lead us not into temptation. When we wander, give us ears to hear your voice calling us back. We will face temptations and trials. Jesus did. We should expect it too. But when they happen, Papa, stay with us. Whenever I read this line, and lead us not into temptation, it reminds me, of the verse from the, the hymn, Come Thou Fount. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Lead us not into temptation. Now, this prayer is not meant to be formulaic or to be followed precisely. It's not Jesus saying, okay, instead of saying the hero Israel every morning, afternoon, and evening, you just now have to say the Lord's Prayer, this prayer I've taught you every morning, uh, afternoon, and evening. It's, It's not meant that this is the only way you can pray. What Jesus is doing is he's teaching a pattern to draw us into intimacy, to sit under authority, to feel safe enough that we can make requests and ask him for what we need and trust that he will hear and provide, and to repent each day, to wipe the slate clean every day, and to know that we can always, no matter what, return to the Lord, and to believe that he who loves us will keep us safe. 
That's the type, that's the way you ought to pray, says Jesus. And we can pray this way for ourselves or for others. Now, I can just, if you close your eyes for a moment, you can imagine Jesus up on a mountain. He's just told his disciples to say this. And the disciples must have just been looking at him in utter bewilderment, their mouths hanging open, catching flies, with just this odd expression on their faces. Jesus, that is not how we pray. We, we pray the prayers the priest tells us to pray. We, the, the priest, it's the priest who intercedes for us and offers sacrifice for our sins. And it is the priest who, who offers up prayers of intercessions for the people. And he does it in the sanctuary, in the holy place. He doesn't do it on a mountain or by a lakeside or in a living room or in a bathtub or anywhere else. You only do that in the holy place, Jesus. Now, of course, they knew on one level that if circumstances were really bad, you could cry out to God. Abraham did it, and Sarah did it. Moses did it, and Hannah did it. The prophets did it. But they were giants of the faith, and they weren't praying for something selfish. They were praying out of deep desperation for the sake of others, not just for daily bread. And so as Jesus, I imagine, looks around the room at the dazed expressions, mouths half open, he realizes he might need to give a little more explanation. And so he offers them this parable to help them understand. And he says to them, which of you has a friend who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine has just arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Now the cultural laws of the day mandated that if someone arrives at your house, it doesn't matter what time. It doesn't matter if you've just cleaned up from breakfast or you're just about to set up dinner, or it's one o'clock in the morning, if someone arrives at your house, you are obligated to offer them hospitality and to feed them. And that is what has happened to this, this person. Now, unlike in our day, there, there weren't refrigerators to keep your, your food warm, or to keep your food cold, to keep your food preserved. You had to get up every morning, go look for the food, make it. So this man doesn't have anything to serve his guests. Now, most of us have had, understand this experience from the perspective of how many times have you gone to make something, say bake something, and you find out you're an egg short, or a cup of flour light, or, or that you need an onion for your recipe, and rather than go down to the store, what do you do? You call your neighbor. You go up to the neighbor, you knock, hello, um, I, I, need, I, need, uh, I, I need an egg and a cup of sugar to make make cookies. It's, I, I know it's one o'clock in the morning. But someone's just arrived at my house and they really, really like chocolate chip cookies. Hello, could you please wake up? I just need to give this guy cookies. And of course your neighbor is going to answer, sure. No, says Jesus. The answer from within is going to be Get out! Get away! Go to bed! Don't bother me. The door's shut. My children are asleep. The dog is down. I'm not going to get up and give you anything. And, and, and as much as that would be distracting in our day, imagine when you're living in a one-room or maybe a two-room house where everyone is sleeping in the exact same bed area, the same mattress, 
So if you get up, guess what? Everyone's up. I mean, it would be disturbing enough in our day to have someone pound on the door or ring the doorbell at midnight and wake up one or two of us. But they wake up the whole house. But Jesus says, I tell you, though, I tell you, though he will not get up and give you anything because you're a friend, because of your impudence, he will rise and give you whatever you need. Jesus' point is that the neighbor doesn't help out just because they're neighbors or even because he understands the culture or he can imagine being in a similar situation. Uh, Yeah, gosh, this is annoying, but I guess if I was in the same situation, I'd probably go pound on his door too. So I ought to get up and do this for him. No, Jesus is saying he's doing this because of the man's shamelessness in asking. Because the man is bold enough to actually come to the door at midnight and pound on the door and say, I need a loaf of bread, even though he knows he's going to wake up everyone in the neighborhood. Jesus is saying, God answers our prayers because we have the boldness to ask in the first place. If you don't ask, guess what? You don't get. Now, note that this parable is different than the parable of the persistent widow. In that one, she keeps coming to the judge saying, please, may I have a cookie? Please, may I have a cookie? Please, may I have a cookie? Please, may I? She's playing the role of the four-year-old. And you eventually cave, right? Here, fine, take the dang cookie. Get out of my face. Yes, God does work that way too. If we're persistent in our prayer, persistent in our prayer, persistent in our prayer, he will eventually answer. But in this case, Jesus is saying it's not about persistence. It's just about having the boldness, the courage, the shamelessness to actually ask for help. Most of us aren't particularly good at asking for help. He says, I tell you the truth. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Does that sound like another song I know? For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, to them the door will be opened. But if you don't ask for something, how can it possibly be given to you? If you don't seek for something that is lost, how do you possibly expect to find it? And if you don't knock on the door, then guess what? No one's going to open it. Now it all seems obvious enough, but to apply this thought to prayer was and still is a radical change of thought and practice. We say, that's fine, Jesus, but it's one thing to ask a neighbor for a loaf of bread or your parent for the car keys or to help with the project you're working on, but to approach God that way, don't you think that's a little too earthy, a, a little too presumptuous, a little too familiar? This is God after all. But again, Jesus, sensing their, confu- their, their, their continuing apprehension and their hesitation, says, Look, what, what, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead slip him a serpent just to see what he's going to do? Or, 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 or if he asks for an egg, we'll, we'll say, Ha, this will scare him, here's a scorpion. And then I love this line. Jesus is so compassionate. 
If you then, who are evil, thanks Jesus for putting me in my place. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, to those who you really love, then how much more will the Heavenly Father know how to give you righteous gifts? He'll even give to you the Holy Spirit of God. Look, if you know how to, if you, if you know you can ask your earthly father for what you need, provision, forgiveness, wisdom, and you know that even in his own sinfulness and weakness, he will do whatever he can to help, well, then how much more confidence should you have in your heavenly father from whom we receive every good and perfect gift? The one who heard the pleas of Abraham and Sarah. The one who heard the needs of Joseph the cries of the slaves, the fears of the people, the confession of David. Know that you can ask Him because He is your Abba, your Papa, and you are His child. Abba. Now, it is not possible to cover the topic of prayer in 20 or so minutes. But what we get from Jesus in this passage, I think, is that we should not be afraid to It doesn't matter what you think your skill level is. We should not be afraid to pray. To approach God like a child to a loving parent. Even if you don't know what you're going to pray for or how to ask, or if you just want to sit in His presence and listen. You should just do it. Now if you're interested in learning more about prayer and different types of prayer, forms of prayer, maybe it's confessional confessional or examining, Silent, scriptural, contemplative, simple, continuous, relinquishment, covenant, adoration, rest, sacramental, meditative, petitionary, healing, intercessories, and others. Some of you are saying, I didn't know there's that many different types of prayer. Uh, you, can come and, you can come and ask me, you can come and ask any of your elders. Um, a great place, in my opinion, to start is with Richard Foster's book, simply entitled Prayer. It's an amazing classic on how to pray. But silence, prayer, and scripture are like sunlight, water, and soil to plants. They are the foundations of growing and maturing in our life in Christ, to trusting more, revealing more, and knowing more, and loving more. It is through silence and prayer and scripture that we can learn to be attentive to the beaten man, the crucified Messiah, the suffering Jesus the one who turned his face resolutely towards Jerusalem and went off towards his death, the one who Richard Topping said a couple weeks ago was born in obscurity, crucified tragically, and who rose unexpectedly. This is how we get to know that God. Our Father, who art in heaven, you can join me, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.